Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, March 10th, 2023. I'm Mike Kachopoli. Okay, here we are, Friday night. Friday night. We've made it through another week. Let's hope, let's hope that, well, the weather's better now. The weather has cleared up here in San Francisco. So the weather is much, much better. So hopefully we have a good signal tonight. Hopefully we have a strong signal, a strong signal so everyone can be heard. Because it's a big phrase, a lot going on. I've just, I've just, I've pulled up already four stories to start the, the show with. There's a lot happening. Also at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, the end of the broadcast, I'll be doing a Friday night film review of the film. Well, I'm, you know what? I'm going to keep it. Nah, should I keep it a secret? Yeah, I'll keep it a secret. I'm going to keep you on the edge. Keep you on the edge. You won't know what I'm reviewing till the end of the show. You'll have to stick around or come back. Either way, stick around or come back. What else are you doing on a Friday night? What else is there to do other than go out and drink and dance, have a good time, go to the ballroom, go out to dinner, go to a late night show, go to a lot of things you can do, I guess. You know, I just realized I was, as I was coming back from the film that I saw tonight, coming back from the movie theater, theater, that um, Bill Maher, Bill Maher is going to be here in San Francisco on Sunday. I guess Bill Maher does the thing where he goes around, does his HBO show live in different places. So that's what he's doing. He's doing the uh, the show, uh, the HBO show he does on Sunday here at the Golden Gate Theater. But I think the cheapest seats like a hundred bucks. It's probably sold out by now. But I think the cheap seats are like a hundred. I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not going to pay for that. I'm okay with Bill Maher. I just don't know what the yeah, I don't know what the crowd is like. What kind of a crowd is it? What kind do you think the crowd Bill Maher gets these days? Does he get left-wing crowds? Does he get centrist crowds? I don't know what he gets because Democrats are pissed off at him simply for saying for the last few years Democrats have no common sense. They got mad at him. They think he's a Republican. They think he's a Trumper simply for saying that the Democrats got a lot wrong over the last three years and they have no common sense and that's why they're losing people. All of a sudden, him, him coming up with that very smart, incisive comment Lost a lot of people. All of a sudden, he's a Trumper because, see, once you step outside the cult, once you once you give an opinion the cult doesn't like, once you give an opinion that's not part of the cult opinion, you're out. You are out the door. Don't let the door hit you in the ass. You're out. You have to march in lockstep with the cult. And if you don't march in lockstep with the cult, you're done. So I don't know what Bill Maher's audience is these days. Maybe it's safe. If it's people who like... That's what I'm guessing. If it's people who like comedy and people who like unwoke, non-woke comedy, it's probably more of a center-right audience because the left wing can't take comedy anymore. They need woke comedy. It's the only kind of comedy they can deal with. What is woke comedy? What kind of comedy is woke comedy? I don't, I don't even know what that even means. It can't be very funny. It doesn't, it doesn't sound very funny, does it? I'm here to do woke comedy. It sounds boring. I'm going to do some woke stand-up tonight. I mean, you're thinking, what the hell is this guy going to say? Well, what is there? What kind of a, what's woke stand-up? I don't know. But um, I should go down to L.A. at some point and go to the comedy store there, go to the comedy club and see what they're doing these days. Because there really aren't any, there's, there's not much of anything here in San Francisco. But there really isn't any great stand-up places like you have, uh, you know, in West Hollywood. So I think I might go down to L.A. at some point. And uh, hey, Gator, Daniel, anyone else? You want to come to L.A.? You want to go to L.A.? You want to go on a field trip? You want to go on a road trip? You want to do like a um, – anyone out there want to do a road trip to L.A., get together? You know, it's uh, it's tough for, for, for someone like 
Gator, who's in London, it's a bit further than for Daniel and me, so it might not be very fair. But but um, a road trip. What was that called? The movie, the movie where the guys are in L.A. with Mike Tyson. What was that? What the hell was that called? What was it called? Like the frat movie. Anyway, I forgot. I'll look it up. But that kind of a thing, like a road trip. The the guys do a road trip. How about like a bunch of unwoke guys? How about this for a movie idea? Since it's Friday, a bunch of unwoke guys, non-woke guys go to L.A. together. They go on like a trip. We do L.A. and we do Vegas. Maybe that that would be a, a decent idea for a movie. I'm not sure. Okay, um, but there is a lot to talk about. There's a lot, a lot to talk about. And I think, what should I start with? Well, I was going to read, we got Fauci, we got something on Fauci, we got Treason of the Science Journals. This was written in a Tablet Magazine, and this is about Fauci. Uh, how Anthony Fauci manufactured consensus on the origins of COVID-19. Blues Brothers, would you would you write L.A. sucks? But if Gator, before I get to the before I get to the, I want to, I have to tell, uh, I I am reading the comments section. I'm reading the comments section right now because if you're listening to this in uh, in replay, not live, you will wonder what I'm talking. Am I talking to myself? Do I have schizophrenia? No, I'm I'm, I'm reading the comments section, and Gator says you're he's in. Blues Brothers meets Animal House. Yeah, like Bruce, yeah, Blues Brothers meets Animal House. Exactly. You got it. You got it. Absolutely, Gator. L.A. sucked, but if Gator comes, I'll go. You see? We might be able to get this together. We might be able to get this together. Who knows? Who else, who else can we get? What other, what other great callers can we get? What other great callers can we get? Um, getting the band back together. Yeah, the boys and the band. Uh, the, what other great callers can we get? Uh, you know, how about does anyone want does anyone want the caller Lance to come? Does anyone want Lance to come? <laughs> you know, I, I, my guy, I don't know. We'll see. Um, let's see. Anyway, uh, Lance, yeah, you want Lance to go <laughs> uh, for this crew, for the for our crew, for the call in crew. <laughs> To go for the Let's Be Heard show crew to go. We'd need how many bottles of aspirins? We need some really strong stuff. I don't know if aspirin, I think Oxycontin might, might be necessary. We might need some Oxycontin. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. Opioids are the best way to go with this group. Oh my God. Um, all right, all right. Enough of the frivolity. Frivolity? What is it? Frivolity? Frivolity. Because we have to talk about uh, this is a real downer, I know. When you start talking about Fauci, <laughs> when you think of road trips, you don't think about going with Tony Fauci. That's for sure. Um, there was some rumor on Twitter today. I don't believe it. I- I'd like to believe it, but I don't know if I can believe it. That uh, the Republicans are getting ready to put together some kind of uh, evidence against Fauci for a criminal investigation. I don't, I'd love to believe that they're going to look to indict this guy. I think I think the basis for it would be he lied in front of Congress about the gain of function. I think that's where the groundwork begins. But, of course, Fauci lied about more than just that in front of Congress and in front of the American people for the last three years. Um, but I would love to believe that this guy has any shot at all of going to jail in his lifetime. But I'm very suspect. I'm uh, very suspect 
that that will happen. Incredibly suspect that that will happen. But this happens. I definitely want to get to the treason of the science journals and talk about Fauci. But, you know, something very big happened today, earlier today. The Silicon Valley Bank failed. Now, I'm not a big economic expert. I find economics makes me very – I'm bored by it. My eyes glaze over when it comes to this economic stuff involving banks, but this was a big one. The Silicon Valley Bank failed in the largest bank collapse since that 2008 crisis. Um, What happened was U.S. regulators rushed to seize the assets of top text lender Silicon Valley Bank on Friday after running the bank, marking the largest failure of such institutions since the height of the financial crisis more than a decade ago. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank, the nation's 16th largest bank, failed after depositors, mostly technology workers and venture capital-backed companies, hurried to withdraw their money this week as anxiety over the bank situation spread. Global institutions, including the Bank of England, are monitoring the situation closely. There you go, Gator. The Bank of England amid concerns that the turmoil could put customers' deposits at risk and, uh, and lead to further panic across the financial system. Um, Daniel saying that his your your businesses used uh, our business used SVB. Will you come on a little bit, Daniel? Tell me more about that. So you mean the uh, Berkeley? You mean out, out there in Berkeley? Uh, fear is contagious, said Angela Lee, um, a Columbia Business School professor, and a venture capitalism banks bank runs can start on a rumor and is much bigger than a rumor. I worry about folks overreacting to this and overcorrecting. SVB had prompted a global sell off in banking stocks after it launched a rescue share sale to plug a nearly $12 billion hole in its finances. The bank lost the funds when it sold a portfolio of bonds in response to a decline in customer deposits. Those bonds had dropped in value as a result of rising interest rates, leaving SVB with a shortfall. The U.S. listed shares initially plunged 60% on Thursday and were halted on Friday after tumbling 66 in pre-market trading before regulators stepped in. Uh, the troubles facing SVB were relatively unique, uh, given its sort of startups in the tech sector, for which funding has dropped in recent months. Silicon Valley was heavily exposed to the tech industry, and there's little chance of contagion in the bank sector, similar to the chaos in the months leading up to a recession more than a decade ago. The biggest banks, those most likely to cause a systemic economic issue, have healthy balance sheets and plenty of capital. However, those troubled these troubles raise broader feels, fears that the recent increases in interest rates have affected the value of other banks' bond portfolios, which tend to fall in price when interest rates rise. There were concerns about how that could affect lenders' capital levels, which are meant to offset riskier parts of banks' balance sheets. Those fears prompted a drop in U.K. banking stocks, which the Bank of England's regulatory arm, the Prudential Regulatory Authority, is closely monitoring. The Guardian understands the PRA is keeping an eye on market Movements and is speaking with firms its supervisors, including high street banks such as Barclays, NatWest, and Lloyd's Banking Group. Amid fears there could be further contagion from market jitters of a turmoil affecting SVB. However, it is understood that the PRA believes that the UK banks it monitors are resilient, given that bond values are usually part of annual stress testing and that most have seen their income rise as a result of higher interest rates in recent months. So Silicon Valley Bank is done. They're done. A run on the bank. And this is a, up here in my area. This is the Bay Area. This is Santa Clara, the South Bay. Um, this is a uh, – well, it reminds me of that scene in It's a Wonderful Life, right, when there's a run on the bank and everyone wants to take their money out and uh, Jimmy Stewart 
puts his own money up. Who's going to go? He's going to, he's going to go on vacation, a honeymoon for like, he had like two or three grand and he was going on the honeymoon. And he imagine that if only two or three grand could solve the issue, <laughs> those were the days, you know, and, and, and he puts his own money up and gives money to the people, the customers who need it until he can straighten things out with the bank. But this is of course a much bigger deal. This is the big run of the bank and they're done. Whoa. It's just, it's just insane. It's just really insane because there are people like who work there, right? Our friend said they couldn't make payroll today and cried when that formed 200 employees because of this issue. While the SUV meltdown is unlikely to have a major impact outside of tech. So this is tech. So this is tech, right? This is tech. This is tech. Um, totally collapsing. This is part of the tech, the collapse of the tech industry. Um, and like it, I'm not an economic expert. I know the I know the stock market's been dropping. Spock, European bank shares have plunged, as I said, because of the SVB. So this is a new thing now. But we had S, what do we have? SVB. We have SVB, and we have SBF. Right? Sam Bankman for SBF and SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. So, um. Uh, it's it's you know it's it's at a point now where it's getting very very dangerous it's getting very scary out there for a lot of people it really is you know and we knew this was going to happen sooner or later right these fat cats in tech they thought they were going to have it good forever it reminds me the tech industry reminds me a lot of like wall street right because back in the wall street days um like the wolf of wall street you ever seen the movie the wolf of wall street well these guys, these there was like they get fat and they don't realize things are going so well and they're making money hand over fist and eventually it's all gonna bust. It's all gonna bust, but they all have a great time while the going's good and then things just fall apart, right? Which we have seen also with like Facebook firing all these people and Twitter having to fire a lot of people and all these tech companies having to fire people, right? There was a video a woman put out. It was someone who worked at Facebook, I believe, or Google, Google. And she talked about how, you know, oh, it's so good. Look at this. Look at our campus. And we get lunches, free lunches, and we have a massage hour, and we have this and that. And then she was, like, canned. So they showed the – they juxtaposed that video of her saying how great her job was and how cushy it was. And then she got canned because they were spending all this money on wasteful stuff. They did it, was, Were these people even working? It seems like it was like a, a like a resort for most of these people. Right. They will live in the high life, baby. They will live in the high life. And then look at what happened. Look at what's happened. Eventually. Look who's entered the room. Cheech. Cheech, you're alive. You're alive. I was worried about you, Cheech. I really was. Um, but this is what happened. The bubble has burst. The bubble went. Boop, and that's it. And now a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people are suffering. But we knew it was going to happen. We knew this was going to happen. We really did. And it was just uh, a matter of time. Uh, I don't know what the other repercussions are going to be about the, on, on this whole thing. I don't know. Uh, I, once again, I'm not an economic expert. So I know money's insured, right, by FDIC. So people aren't going to lose their money that they had in that bank because it's insured. Um, I remember that uh, – good, Gator, I'll get to you in a second. Maybe have some insights on this. But I remember that movie with Robert De Niro. Was it uh, Heat? When they when they, they robbed the banks, yeah, that big – that great shootout scene in L.A. And they go into the bank and he shoots the gun up in the air and he tells everyone in the bank, don't be a hero. Hey, don't be a hero. Your money's back. We're not stealing your money. 
We're not stealing your money. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Is that a good De Niro? Yeah. Anyway, so that's the whole thing. So the FDIC will back this. And so I guess people who have money in the bank won't won't lose it. But uh, a lot of people are going to get hurt from this. Um, FDIC covers up to what? 250K? Is that right? Is that true? The FDIC only covers. Okay. Is, is that why people with a lot of money put like a quarter million in each bank? Right? They'll put like a quarter million in one bank. Well, Gator, come on, Gator. Come on in there. Hey, Look, I don't know details, a lot of details about this. I've only just followed certain aspects of financial news that I've just been looking at. And I just wanted to say, um, so this, the, this problem is that there's obviously a contagion risk, right, which is, which is up to the um, various authorities to try to contain. And so you need to keep an eye on that. And also that's why I put that list in the article in which has a list of um, top businesses which are going are being screwed by um, by their holdings in the bank, right? Because obviously, if you're in if you're in invested in any of the businesses that were listed in that article, you might as well just liquidate your. Um, well, you might you uh, that's not advice. Um, you might want to think about what you're going to do. Um, but also, the point that the zero hedge guy articles are making are that they point out that the reason why. The run occurred is partly fueled by people like Peter Thiel um, telling people to take their money out of the bank. And also JP Morgan also instructed people to take the money out. Right. And they knew that if if you if you have that many clients with that much money and you tell them to take the money out and they do, you are initiating a bank run. You actually only need to have a very small percentage or small amounts of money withdrawn to initiate a bank run because the capitalization ratios of banking is so low, right? And um, so the question Zero Hedge is asking is, why would these people, smart money, and the biggest US corporate bank tell people to initiate a bank run? And their possible, one possible reason is because if all of these businesses require US dollar quantitative easing, then basically one way of achieving that or continuing your business model based on it is to literally initiate an event which forces the Fed to continue and increase QE. And therefore, this bank run might be a precipitous act for that. And that's worth thinking about because that's dodgy as sin. So, okay. Uh, once again, you have to explain this all in layman's terms to me because I'm I'm not big on this banking and, and the uh, economic stuff. Um, so, what is the what is the main concern now? Let's say of the Bank of England, what are the, what are they worried about? Are they are they are they they're not worried about it spreading to their bank, right? I mean, not the B of E. Well, it could. I mean, it could. You go because you don't know what the systemic dependencies of any of the cash flow, or any of the investments, or anything that SVB is holding, right? And what the 2008 global financial crisis teaches us is that banks are fully capable of literally hiding all of the things that they owe by mm. using all sorts of accounting tricks. I mean, one of the examples was that banks created a thing called a special investment vehicle, which was literally a company that whose balance sheet never appeared on the bank's balance sheet. But it was it was a subsidiary of the bank, but it didn't ever have um, a balance sheet that went to the SEC. And so all of these banks who were gambling up to the, 
and 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 creating humongous debt debt levered investments or or bets actually they were bets they put those derivative bets on the balance sheet of the special interest vehicle and the sec never saw this the scale of this debt laden bet um vehicle, uh, business right so when those bets started going wrong as a result of the things that that, that happened in 2008 that's why the banks went to went to George W. Bush and said, you need to give us $750 billion right now, and you're going to need to give us more after that. And he said, why? They said, well, because we don't actually know. We, the banks, don't actually know how big the losses inside these sieves actually are, because they're so complicated and they're so big, we can't actually properly account for them and we've never admitted them to the sec so the sec doesn't know how big they are either that's the kind of thing that banks can do right mm -hmm. so when it comes to contagion you've obviously got any systemic immediate bank connection to svb in any way of cash flow or any of the systemic impacts of the businesses that are invested with svp losing their cash flow or their assets and then failing and then that causing contagion somewhere else and then also you've got um, anyone who literally has um, lost or in, in, is periodically unable to access any of their money. So if you, even if you're below $250,000 and you get FDIC money, how long is that going to take for you to get? And right. is your life or your business contingent on accessing that tomorrow? Because if it is, your cash flow is just evaporated, right? Um, so it's all, it's all stuff like that. Um, some of it's simple, some of it will be incredibly complicated. But if you think about the contagion that occurred from Lehman that went around the world in days, right? So yeah. SVB could easily be another of one of those events. But they're, they're saying they don't think it will be, right? Because this is mostly a tech sector thing and most of the banks right now in 2023 a solvent right as long as long as as long as that is true and it's contained yeah, yeah. Right. And, and if it isn't true then they're going to have to then they're going to have to find out exactly how big it is and contain it but i mean softbank in japan is another bank that globally is has has been on the rocks for a long time because the guy running it basically misleadingly over invested in huge set swathes of the tech industries and made insane bets. I mean, when you look at like the portfolio, a sheet with all of the logos of companies on it that he'd, that he'd put SoftBank's money into, um, it was just like a dot-com bubble, all boom, boom bubble all over again. WeWork was in there and all sorts, and WeWork's just a crock of shit um, real estate, Lisa. When you look at the value of that, there's nothing in it, which is why it was um, got so dodgy at the end. Uh, well, you know, it's, 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 it, and, and before uh, Adam, whatever his name is, ran off. But SoftBank has, has just racked up, uh, and the guy who owns SoftBank has racked up something like $5 billion worth of personal losses um, in the recent months as a result of how badly managed it was. But fortunately, that hasn't spilled over, so hopefully it won't. But but there is um, Zero Hedge's premium page has got a list of contagion targets in it. So... Um, so people are tracking this and if you can if you if you're even remotely bothered it's worth doing the research to try and find out um what people's thoughts on possible contagion are so that you can take steps to get ahead of the curve if you can
But the more important, the most important question I have for you is how can we blame Joe Biden and Democrats? For um, yeah, okay, hang on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'll come back to you. I'll do some more research. <laughs> that's, that's, what I, that's what I'm interested in. How can we blame Joe Biden and Democrats for this? The only well, way for, keep, I, he, uh, for keeping Janet Yellen in place. Yeah, because, you know, what happened, well, happened during about... his presidency, right? So he's, he's in charge. So. Yeah, a day or two ago, Janet Yellen said, that the banking sector is resilient, right? Mm. And in 2017, she also said it's unlikely, or it's basically we're never going to have another financial collapse in our lifetimes. So that's basically guaranteed. This is guaranteed to collapse, right? Uh, sometime soonish, because she just said the tooth that she said just recently, the thing that she needs to say, she's had a Bernanke statement, which is the mortgage mortgage industry is absolutely fine. And then a week later, it was 2008. Yeah, well, Jan, she's an idiot yelling. I mean, she's a total moron. You know, this is every every she, every time she talks, she doesn't make any sense. You know, the problem, well, in general, even before this happened today, is that there are too many people in Congress who are look. I would I would like if I went to Congress, I'd be like, look, I need a fucking economic primer. I need I need, I need some experts to really get me up to date. And I'd, ha I'd have I'd have like a. Like the Supreme Court, or just like, well, not just the Supreme Court, all these politicians have huge staffs, right? They, the Congress people have, what, six, seven, eight people, senators have more than that. I would definitely have people who are really good at economics, because a lot of stuff I don't need explained to me, but economics I do. But we have such economic morons in, in politics. I listen to Elizabeth Warren, you know, people like Elizabeth Warren, and she absolutely has absolutely no clue what's going on. I mean, when, mm -hmm. I, when I hear, when she says something, and then I hear experts, like economic experts, uh, talk like whether it's you know CNBC or or Fox Business, they just they're always they're always picking her apart because she has no clue, you know. Well, Elizabeth Warren and other a lot of Democrats especially, their their view on economics is simply the the rich make too much money, the poor are the rich make too much money. We got to tax them big, and everything's got to be equal. That's basically their 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 view on economics, right? We need more mm -hmm. equality and equity when it comes to economics. The rich people are evil and, and bad, and we have to tax them, even if they're being and not even realizing how much they're being friggin' taxed, you know, and uh, and how that even affects you know medium range businesses and small businesses. And when you start when you start hurting those people financially and those businesses financially, it's not good for anybody. So it doesn't seem to they don't seem to get that. They just seem to have this view of the fat cats are too fat and too rich, and we have to stick a needle in them and make them explode, and that'll trickle down to all the small people. It's like the opposite of trickle down economics, almost right. You know, so trickle down like, economics does not exist. Yeah, right. So it's just it's just that it's like once again, a lot of these people are just economically illiterate, naive, and it's amazing to me that they're in the position they're in. They don't have real economic advisors, not not left-wing or right-wing, but real economic advisors who can tell them, you know, exactly what's going on because most of the time they're just totally ignorant of everything. Well, yeah, but the thing that you've got to remember is that you should never get hung up on the idea that there is that e either that economics is a, is a science because it isn't. It absolutely is not a science, right? And that there are um, actually credible, fully credible, um, all-encompassing um, economic theories and models that basically tell you how the world works. It's absolutely not true. Um, if you're interested, have a look at Richard Wolff, Michael Hudson, mm -hmm. uh, and Steve Keen, right? Mm -hmm. And just look at some of their easily accessible stuff. If and then that, that's a, that's a, that'll give you some macro pointers of how 
some big stuff works in the world. But if you look at the way that they view the world or, and I'm no expert, I've forgotten a lot of, you know, I don't study this deeply or anything. Um, and a long time ago, and I kind of forget and move on to other things and have to revisit it all. But none of these guys have completely coherent, equal models and stuff. They all have different ideas. And then and none of the models of, of any of the economic schools of theory are resilient because if they were, you would have you would get predictive power from them. And no one ever predicts financial collapses. They never get the timing right. And they never get the cause right. Steve Keen was was one of the few who did call 2008. Now, that tells you that if you say that you have a, a model that is credible, that can explain macro and micro working together, why can't you predict when something goes wrong? It's obvious because information, well, one, the model doesn't really reflect reality. And if you get into economic theory, you'll see why. A classic example of it is... In the sort of the um, Chicago school, I think neo <clears throat> neoliberal free market capitalism kind of ideas, the assumption is, or an assumption is, that man is a rational economic animal, i.e. people act rationally, making economic decisions for themselves in their interests, which are understandable and essentially predictable. It's not true at all. <clears throat> so if you can't take into account human irrationality inside a market you don't understand the market <clears throat> and then <clears throat> excuse me also <clears throat> um you bet you basically if you read anything about the 2008 financial crisis <clears throat> and why it happened it happened because the regulator deliberately allowed derivative markets to go unregulated because the banks told them don't regulate this and they agreed that one of the key one of the key parts of it this, another key part of it was that the regulator was incompetent and that remains the case and that the it, that the information inside a market is imperfect and compartmentalized deliberately by all market players who have any access to information in order to contain to gain competitive advantage right so all those things together means that you can't actually say my economic model works because you won't have all the information to make sure that you know what's going on inside the market. So, it's, right. so you know, right. you can't expect too much of anyone who calls themselves an e economist because it's an art it, and a shitload of guesswork. And, 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 and Steve Keen, Hudson and maybe Wolf will admit that straight off the bat, which yeah. is important. And most economists don't. Yellen wouldn't. So, yeah, I think there's too, there's too much. There's too much. When you talk about like Elizabeth Warrens and the Yellens and the Paul Krugmans of the world, um, you talk about economy, which is their, their, their view of the economy is like their view of everything else, where they just they virtue signal a lot. Right. And the virtue is mm -hmm. the virtue signaling is saying how how evil corporations are. Right. How evil wealthy people are and how, you know, those of us who aren't wealthy are getting the short ends of the stick. It's, it is the case at some point. But we also it, it seems to come from a very naive opinion uh, a very naive opinion that we can't people who aren't up up the level of the top of the economic scale somehow can't get there you know that 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 hard work and and being diligent and and having a vision doesn't mean anything in this country anymore and that that's kind of a problem i do understand that luck has a lot to do with it being in the right place at the right time believe me i get it often who, what you're born into matters you're gonna have you know if you're born into money you're gonna have several steps ahead of other people i get it 
But it's the thing, it's starting to bother me more and more than it used to, by the way, mm. uh, when I was listening to Bernie Sanders speeches, I guess not too long ago, <laughs> that mm. um, this a lot of Americans, a lot of American politicians seem to not believe that anyone can become anything in this country. And it's that, I don't know, it's that kind of vision or hope or dream that fuels a lot of people, that keeps people going. And I, I don't like the fact that they deflate that. And they, they seem to do that all the well, time. It seems, it seems like an very okay, anti-American, you know. Well, hang on. Two, yeah, two, yeah. two questions then. Have you ever seen George Carlin's stand-up? Of course. Okay. Well, you know, so then you know that he's known for a very long time the reality of life in America, because everything he's ever said that I've heard is true. And America consistently ranks <clears throat> below 30 on the global... Um, list of social countries, social mobility index. Mm -hmm. That should not be the case in a G1 nation with um, in the land of opportunity. But it's mm -hmm. true because we all know how that really works. You're born poor yeah. in America, you're fucked for life. You, but, but there have been people who have broken that pattern, though. I mean, there are, there are many people. Until they got sick and went to hospital. Yeah, you know, there are plenty of people out there who, who will tell stories of how they, they came from nothing and they made it, you know. So it's it's not – in fact, there are more stories. I think there are really more stories like that. People coming from nothing or very, you know, low, lower income, middle, lower class income means in making it than, than people who are just born to money. So I, I, I really think that – I think that this, that's not very true. I think the problem now with this country as we get into the much broader spectrum here of, of ideas about the economy is that – there are a lot of lazy people here now, and I think COVID made people even lazier. COVID <clears> made people lazy, not just economically, not with just working, but also like working out, everything, going out again, getting a social life. I mean, it just made people very lazy. And it's not mm. that it's not, and people bring up the checks, right? People bring up the, the government checks and all that. But okay, that was a very small part of it because that was not enough to support anybody for two years. A couple of thousand dollar checks wasn't going to support you for two years. But it was that idea of just sit back, open your you know, mailbox or wait for your direct deposit and don't really worry about working or getting a job again. And that's kind of what's happened. And that's why a lot of small businesses have failed. Not just because the government made them shut down for two years, but because okay, then they couldn't but, find, then when they came out of this thing, they couldn't find people to work. They could but, not find workers. Just ask yourself this question, right? How many households in America are less than three months away from destitute, three, three months of paychecks away well, there was from a destitution? Poll that, yeah, there was a poll that came out not long ago, maybe a month ago, that showed that two out of every three Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Okay. So that's why. So that's if that's 220, right. 220 million people live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Now, okay. So now apply that to what you just said, but also factor this. Basically, when you're in those circumstances, you don't have excess capacity on time because money is time, choice, <clears throat> or choice, right? That's the synonym. <clears throat> that's what it's synonymous with. So if you want to self-actualize in any way and self-improve, but you have to spend a minimum of 40 hours um, a, a week working at so hard that if you break that or try to reduce it, you will be out of your house on the streets within a month, right? Yeah. You have no capacity to, to develop, right? And you also don't have any money to take risks, so you cannot invest it and you cannot um, essentially save 
and you cannot um, uh, risk it, right? So you couldn't even use it to risk to start up your own business. Mm -hmm. That's what that means. But also, if you're the kid in that environment and you are growing up in an environment that, that makes you realize whenever you become aware of it, that almost every single meaningful asset you could try to buy is too expensive for you, i.e. a house and a car, why the fuck are you going to be motivated to do anything? Because you can't have the two things that you want. And then when you go and try and look for rent, you know that the rent is so disproportionately large a proportion of your paycheck that you can get for the skill set that you've got from being a poor kid, that even the act of renting fucks your life up and puts you straight back onto one month away from being being homeless unless I go back to living in my parents' basement. That's the, that's the game that's being played here psychologically. If that makes people lazy, uh, which I'm not sure it necessarily is that simple, um, you've got to factor in some things like that, which, which act on the collective psyche. Yeah, I mean, once again, the, I, the idea that we can all, we all have the ability to reach a certain level doesn't mean we all are, okay? That's not the way it works here. Um, so it's like, it's not going to happen to everybody. And, but, I, but I think there's a, there's, a, there's a general malaise here now in this country. There's a, really a malaise with a lot of people. And it's that, you know, they feel psychologically that they, 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 are, they, they are at where they're always going to be. And that they can't, they can't make strides to be better. They can't make strides to be better. And I, I think that has really intensified over the last, I think that has really intensified over the last few years. And when you get into that defeatist mindset of, oh, it's a rigged game. It's a rigged game of life. It's rigged. It's rigged for certain people. Well, <clears throat> let's look at that logically. Okay, let's say that's the case. Why can't you be one of the riggers? Why can't you because be you one of the capital. people who can rig it? Well, of course, but your capital comes from hard work. People, people save. But, and but that's, that's my point. It doesn't come from it, Mike. It doesn't come from hard work. If your average rent in New York is four thousand one hundred dollars a month, right? And then, then basically, you, you're somebody who can't earn double that or or more, right? But you live somewhere around New York. If you're say, um, I don't know what the rates of pay are for, um, let's see, <clears throat> a nurse. Let's call it forty five thousand dollars a year. She's not going to be paying, be able to pay four thousand dollars a month in rent, is she? No, but okay. The other, so where the, the other hell are is, New York nurses living? Yes, the rent is too damn high in New York, and the rent is too damn high. Where you in London? There's, the rent is too damn high in San Francisco. Most of this country, most of this country, I'm guessing, most of the UK rent is probably not too damn high. It's probably okay, and a lot of places in this country no, are it's... very low. So, so wait, here's the fact though: if you can't afford. People would say, if you can't afford to live in New York or San Francisco, why live in New York or San Francisco? Those aren't the only places you can live. Why not go somewhere? And I've talked about this many times about moving to Florida. Why not go somewhere or moving to another country like, like Colombia? Why not go somewhere where you can live better for a lot less? Okay, where you could save more quicker. Why not do that? <clears throat> I mean, that's always an option. Well, because immigration laws don't necessarily make it that easy. And also, no, no, if you no, look no, at the... Let's talk about within, their own, within our own country, within your own country. You can yeah, go to but I mean, look, most people cities. that are shit at change, aren't they? Most people are shit at change. And also, the social bonds that you create are the thing that kind of like is the most, the greatest level of resistance to people upping and moving. And take it from a guy who's moved a hell of a lot. I understand. 
the cost of moving and it's not about money right it's about this constant disruption to your life right and admittedly if you finally emigrate and stay somewhere or you go to a, or you don't or you don't make loads of moves constantly then that's fine but people you know people aren't all as brave as that in a way and also there is a fair question about this why should a country if 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 it has the general interest of its citizens in, in, on the table why should it create choose, why should the government of that country choose to collude in the deliberate creation of circumstances in its cities that literally price people out of all the nice places and say well if you're too if you can't afford to live here fuck off go on there's loads of places you can fuck off to if that's not responsible that's not a responsible system and also the reality that one must acknowledge in our countries is that, that this that to try to sort of suggest that well this is just market forces and if you respect capitalism you have to acknowledge that some places will be nicer and more expensive and if you're not in that capital rich group then tough you've got to take the second seat that is not true because our countries are not actually really capitalist countries they are hybrid systems with huge amounts of socialism in them but funnily enough they are inverted most of the socialism in america and the uk is available for the rich because that form of socialism gives you immunity to law immunity to prosecution massively reduced tax bills disproportionately reduced tax bills and therefore you have a compounding of a, a beneficial advantage of being able to continuously exponentially streak ahead in the capital stakes over and above every other citizen that's wrong and that is these are the forces that create um four thousand dollar rents through the game the financialization of the property market and that's completely fucking wrong well yes so yeah of course rent should never be that high anywhere there's no doubt about it rent should never be that high anywhere and uh it is a set in stone kind of a system look at the problems we've had here in san francisco people have left the economy's dead businesses are closed and yet rents are basically the same you know they they made a big deal the rents went down a little bit but the rents are basically the same so you're thinking why how because housing right. is a because housing is not an elastic um right. good housing right. is totally price inelastic right right um the only thing the only thing that will 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 um brutally set price in in rent is um the underlying fight cost of finance no. right and um Shit. Basically, if, oh, sorry. so if you have a if you have a house, right, that's paid yeah. off, then you don't really need the income from it. You can you can you can afford ten dollars a month rent on it. You could you could charge ten dollars a month rent on it, but you won't. You will you will watch the other market, the rest of the market. You'll go on your housing um, website. You'll see how many rental market properties there are uh, on your street for that house, and you will copy the rent of everyone else what that is is collusive price fixing and that is the, what the rental market consists of that shouldn't be allowed but it is which means that there's no competition in rental prices within a given close 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 boundary um for similar properties because it's collusively price fixed right and um so if there are loads of properties which are either corporately loaned owned or have such dirt cheap financing that they kind of like they tick over um, without necessarily having to be rented back to back. Because if you've got very high financing, say you're a small time landlord and you're very highly geared, 
like you must have the property occupied all the time. So if you go, shit, I can only have this place empty for a month. So therefore I've got to price the rent very competitively to make sure somebody's in. That will affect the price a little bit. But if you're BlackRock and you just own swathes of rental properties, you, you don't need to do anything to the market price for that rent for any of your portfolio, right? Because right. no one's coming after you. And that's what's happening now. You are now looking at the constant um, deliberate repossession and, and buyout positions in housing by huge corporations like BlackRock specifically to make them rental properties. Never mind 2008. This is, this is now that on crack. Absolutely. That's a good point. Gator, thanks for the call. I really yeah. appreciate Cheers, it. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Uh, hold on. Let's see. Daniel, what's up, Daniel? How's it going tonight? Hello, Daniel. Are you there? Daniel. Daniel? There I am. Gator made some interesting points uh, early on in his call that I want to talk about. But first, I want to clear, and then I want to talk about um, our business dealings with SBV. Um, SBB, I should say. Um, uh, in San Francisco, these are the facts I want to set straight. Prices did come down dramatically during COVID. That's, um, that's when I moved here. Um, and the reason I had moved, one of the reasons I moved here, there's a lot of reasons. One, one was my kids were all grown um, there. I had wanted to live in San Francisco for, for a long time. Um, and and I heard from a whole bunch of people that prices had dropped dramatically. So I went and I took a look. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dropped huge, huge, big drops. Um, I was looking at places that were going for about uh, 1700 a month in San Francisco. Nice places. The landlords were literally begging you to move in. And, and they were twenty seven. They were $1,000 more in 2019. They dropped. They dropped from twenty-seven. <laughs> when you're in the twenty-seven range, they dropped from twenty-seven to seventeen hundred. I don't Daniel, know how I think... much. I don't know how much the high end dropped, but in that range, it was dramatic drop in, in prices. Well, but Daniel, I think they've pretty much come back though to where they were pre. Well, my I don't know if uh, San Francisco has any um, rent laws that. Uh, dictate how rapidly rents can rise, but mine have only changed $50 over the last um, year and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, there is no real rent control here. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's certainly, it's certainly not coming. In, in, in my uh, building, it, it's certainly not uh, increasing <laughs> back to anywhere near what it was in 2019. But that wasn't the main reason I call. Um, I think Gator... Um, is is probably right if uh, if what he was saying um, with respect to a, a Thiel and uh, how he could have stirred up some social contagion. Remember, we talked about how social contagion social contagion is is a number one health and a national security problem in in this country, and we see it on on so many different fronts. COVID being the big one, but then there's the whole gender dysphoria thing. Um, it's it's just it's just everywhere and we all know what it's fueled by and 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 some are learning how to use that system learning how to use that to force dynamics of various systems and gator could be right 
that what was going on with uh, with the uh, Silicon Valley Bank was that it might have been in some trouble, but there were some, and this includes and this includes Elon Musk, um, who thinks that uh, the Fed are out of control in in uh, in raising interest rates, and they want to see that uh, curtailed. And one of the ways to curtail that is to start causing bank failures. And I mean, what happens when we had our last bank bank failure? Well, they bailed out a bunch of uh, uh, banks, and then they said no more. Um, the Democrats wanted more; they wanted more money to bail it out, but they couldn't get it um, through political means. So they went through the Fed, and the only thing that power the Fed had, which wasn't near as much money as political means could have injected in, but they went with quantitative e quantitative easing. So. The point that it seems like uh, Gator was making was that they are looking for quantitative easing as an offset of uh, to inflation or interest rates um, and inflation, um, and, and that could very very well be. Um, but you know, like I said, Elon Musk, um, our our, our um, hopeful hero, um, in, in some respects. Um, somebody that's been stirring up a lot of trouble when it comes to uh, interest uh, in, con in connection to business in this country. So there's that one point with respect to uh, of how we possibly got here with SVB. And uh, our personal story with it is that we were using SVB unbeknownst to me until today when I got a frantic email from our CEO um, that we were using them as an intermediary through which we paid payroll monthly, payroll and for materials. So, you know, three million sitting in there uh, and uh, paying out from that three million. Most of the cash was elsewhere and they were our intermediary. Almost all the cash was elsewhere, essentially, essentially all of it was elsewhere. And we are using SBB as a intermediary to pay uh, for monthly payroll and materials. Why the CEO set up that way, I don't know. Um, it may be the only way that NIH would let them let her set it up, uh, but that's the way it was being used. So uh, after payroll was paid this month, um, which was a good thing, it was it had already been paid. Um, there was only twenty five thousand approximately in that account. So. That twenty-five thousand, boom! It was all of a sudden gone, and she's panicking. And she really, really didn't need to panic because you know it's it's definitely FDIC insured. Um, so we'll, we'll get the money back, but you know, a huge freaking headache. Well, it's interesting. Through. You 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 had said the FDIC only only uh, backs up to what two fifty k. Two fifty k on on each account on in each bank, and that covers you know checking accounts, savings accounts, CDs. Um, Stuff like that. Um, so, you know, this is twenty-five k. So, you know, we get get the money back, but it's going to be a pain in the it's a pain in the ass for her to find a new bank, uh, set up you know the the the, the monthly payroll and everything through the new bank, um, have to deal with the FDIC, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, big pain in the ass. Luckily, that's the way it was. It, the business was run, and like I said, it was all unbeknownst to me because I'm the uh, chief technical officer, and, and fortunately, don't have to deal with that sort of stuff. But yeah, that was that was her morning. Um, I only became aware of it on the way home 
and not knowing what kind of bank SVB was exactly, I was thinking, fuck, I, I've got I've got my cash, you know, in like eight different CDs at this point, you know. What the, <laughs> I hope one of these wasn't fucking SVB, so I'm like frantically dig, going home um, uh, to get to get online and check out and find out if anything was any CDs were in SVB, and luckily they're not really they're not that kind of bank. There's there's kind of a I don't, I'm not, there's so many different kinds of banks these days. I'm not sure what to call them, but they're not the type of bank that uh, allows purchases of CDs for for, for individuals. Right. That's, that's that's what I understand exactly. They're yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. So so, yeah. so I was re- I was relieved to find that I didn't have any personal um, <laughs> financial <laughs> potential losses, or at least having to deal with FDIC to get it back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was the excitement of the day, and unfortunately, um, there could be more excitement ahead, depending on how much um, Gator and uh, is um, assessing this um, situation, because it very well could be that uh, social contagion really caused, caused a meltdown, or at least tipped it over the line. But it could also be fundamental problems in the banking industry once again. And there, yeah. this could mean that there's, there are other banks yet to fall. So we will, we will see. We'll see unfortunately, unfortunately, fall. Yeah. The only one we will have to blame is essentially Congress. Great recession, um, with uh, so willfully um, that that behavior, need, that kind of behavior, needs to stop because it just creates more moral hazard. It creates banks taking, it creates banking institutions that are just will, will willy nilly take risk because they think that they think that the federal government is their own personal FDIC, their own banking FDIC. That's true. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly, and, and of course, they all want to be bailed out, right? At yeah. some point, that has to end. At some point, the bailing out has to end. You know, yeah. mo- most businesses don't get that right, right? We've seen so yeah. many small businesses here in San Francisco die, and they don't get bailed out. Yeah, there's 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 plenty of plenty of uh, startups. Uh, SVB uh, specialized in in in, in uh, various startups. Um, I'm not sure why the business model was set up that way, but that was the situation with them. And there's plenty of uh, them that you know, all their money was in, in was in SVB. Uh, all their business-related money was there, and boom, you know they have tens uh, to maybe a hundred employees, and and their business gone. Yep, absolutely, no doubt about it. Yeah, so that, that, to just to think of that, I yeah, mean, I just it just it put me creates this pit in my stomach that I immediately have to stop thinking about it. Yeah, because you know, because of the the, I mean. <laughs> You can't not be empathetic for, for in, in situations like that, and it is, it's just disgraceful that our our government just um, just perpetuates. I mean, creates this moral hazard, as as you know, as I just as we just talked about, creates this moral hazard that allows banks to just willy nilly take risk um, because they think they're going to get bailed out. That this has to stop. This has right. to go back to the to the banking models that right. we had. In the 1950s and 60s, where bankers made them approximately a successful, really good banker made approximately the same as as a physician. Um, none of this, you know, making 10 times, 20 times, 50 times what a physician makes. You know, this is this is insane. And the only reason they're making that kind of money 
is because uh, is because the government has this totally different attitude, and 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 legally, banks are treated much different than they were before, and they're and they're just getting bailed out, as as, as we said, and they're taking greater and greater risk, and that greater risk uh, uh, taken by CEOs makes them more money, and they get rewarded more and more Absolutely. and more. Well, look, and, and the fact of the matter is that we know people don't get bailed out. You and I don't get bailed out, right? We can't no. take those. We have to make sure we are. We have to make sure we're very careful with our money. We can't just say, "Hey, let's just spend. Uh, let's spend twenty thousand tomorrow because we'll, we'll get it back. They'll give it. They'll get it back to us. We don't have those safety nets. In fact, a lot of these people. Well, we got. We we have F- yeah. we have FDIC that's our safety net but we ultimately pay for that because the bank has to no no no, no no I understand that I'm talking about personally we, you and I we can't just I can't just say I'm going to spend twenty grand tomorrow of my money I'm just going to go for it because I'll get that they'll get that back to me if I lose it that's not the way it works but these banks want it to work that way for them in other words they want that that safety net that the that regular people don't have and businesses don't yeah what, what what I'm yeah. saying was is what regular people do have. Is they can take their money and they can put it in, let's say, a CD that from a bank that really needs money and, and they're just giving, you know, crazy uh, interest rates. And the reason they're giving crazy interest rates is because they may be teetering on the edge of, of going bust because they just don't have enough cash. So they're trying to attract the cash. They're giving crazy interest rates. Um, uh, you normal people, they're attracted to these, these these crazy interest rates. So they purchase a CD. Well, the U.S. government will bail us out, is what I'm saying. And they'll bail us out to the tune of uh, 250K per per account. So they they will bail us out to some degree. But the point I was making is they're not really bailing us out. We are bailing us out because banks have to to purchase this insurance for, for when this FDIC insurance for, for, for when for the possibility of failure. And we ultimately pay for that oh absolutely yes we also we pay for that yes absolutely you know so it's it's a look this is a situation where um we have to really hope we have to really hope it doesn't spread the way it did in 08 because if it spreads the way it did in 08 we're in big trouble yeah Very big trouble you know. uh, Gator made another good point. Um, I'll get off because I don't want uh, uh, John to to uh, be late queuing up tonight. Um, but uh, Gator made another good point was about economics in general, and, and he's 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 spot spot on there. Ooh, I used a British term. Well, but, spot on there. You know, um, <laughs> and uh, and it's largely 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 because uh, it, you know, his point was that economic systems are just too difficult to. Uh, to um, pre- predict, and if anyone that thinks that there is a, um, a bunch of uh, guys uh, sitting there controlling the levers of the economic system, all of their benefit, well, they may be trying to do that, but the game is extremely difficult to pre- predict, and um, it's mathemat- mathematically, even according to most economist models, and I'm no economist, but math- mathematically, they're just, in terms of the variables used, they're very nonlinear systems, um, which create all kinds of instability on in the calculations. By instability, I mean, if you're off, off by small uh, um, uh, small amounts in the parameters or, or variables that are um, put into the equations, the results change dramatically. That's the definition of an unstable system. Um, and that's, and that's, 
basically what economics is all about. Not to mention um, the things that, uh, that that Gator mentioned in addition, which were they just failed to take into account so many very, very important um, uh, parameters, which is the irrationality of the human mind, which is just an incredible, incredible component of, 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 of what, what moves markets. Yep. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up with that. But yeah, that was their excitement for the day. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay. All right. So um, keeping on that on that track, um, Dean Preston is a, a far left, quote unquote, likes to call himself progressive, board of supervisors slash city council uh, member here in San Francisco, and what he's doing is is he wants that that uh, eviction moratorium that was done during COVID. He wants to extend it. He wants to extend it another 60 days. And what these people don't understand is um, it's, an, it's an eviction ban that's supposed to expire in the coming months. He wants to keep it going well past three years of COVID, well past three years. And as I've said, we need to go back to normal. We need to go back to normal. And what they don't seem to understand this is, once again, simple economics that the left doesn't seem to understand. These landlords are in the rears now for a lot of money. I was just talking to Daniel. Right? We were just talking about how the rents were lowered a little bit during COVID, coming back now. But the fact of the matter is these landlords were owed are owed money. There's one landlord that was on Fox yesterday who said he's owed $120,000 in rent payments. There's this idea by these left progressives, that these landlords are, are multi-billionaire. Every landlord is Elon Musk. That's not the way it works. Every business is not Amazon, and every landlord is not, is not fucking Elon Musk. That's not the way it works. So, the pro- yeah, so Dean Preston says we want to make sure we're not going off on a, on a cliff, an eviction cliff, where we get a whole bunch of people who were evicted. But the fact of the matter is people should be prepared, should have been preparing themselves for the last well, year, year and a half of paying rent again. Okay, of paying rent again. There's a guy named George Wu. By the way, I'm going to talk about George Wu. I don't want to get on George Wu's case, but I was watching Fox. This is how I discovered this story. I was watching Fox yesterday morning, and they had on three landlords from San Francisco. They're all Asian. There are a lot of Asian. Look, what happened here in San Francisco is like what happened in New York, right? In New York, 100 years ago, a lot of Irish and Italians came and they bought they bought uh, buildings when they were like eight cents, not eight cents, you know, when they were very low. <laughs> and uh, uh, my grandfather bought a brownstone in Brooklyn Heights in like the early 70s for something like 50 grand. And people back then, if you spent 50 grand, uh, Bill, I'll get to you. You know, you can. I'll definitely get to you, Bill. I just want to talk about this and a, a couple other things. Um, but fifty grand was was considered a lot of money back in the early seventies, right? And people would say, "Oh, you're crazy. No one's going to move to Brooklyn, South Brooklyn. That's not going to become anything." Well, now that building that he bought fifty grand in the early seventies is now worth about five million. And so what happened was, and he had said this many times, my grandfather. He said, "God, if I knew that it's going to be that much." of an increase. If I was going to make that much of a profit, if Brooklyn was going to explode, I would have bought four of them. He only bought one, but some people did buy four. And so you had a lot of Italian and Irish, but it goes back even before the sixties and seventies. This goes back to the twenties, thirties, forties, immigrants came over. This is what I'm talking about. When I talk about being able to like work and make something of yourself. And that's what they did. And they bought buildings. Right. And that's what happened here in San Francisco. A lot of Asians came here 
and they bought buildings and generations have owned the buildings, right? And so they're the landlords. So there were three Asian landlords on, uh, on, on Fox. And they were talking about how they've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in income. And now this moron, Dean Preston, <laughs> wants to make them lose more money. These are not wealthy people. A Sandrian, George Wu is the San Leandro guy. He's a Chinese immigrant. He hardly speaks any English. And uh, he lost a whopping 120 grand in rent payments in recent years. He went on a hunger strike last month, joining a protest outside a local government office. The Alameda County Board of Supervisors decided the eviction moratorium would expire at the end of April, two months after the state officially ended its COVID emergency. And what is that? It's, come on, man. It's 30, 40 months, 40 months of this thing. San Jandro landlords Jenny Zhao also struggled to make ends meet since Mayor London Breed barred landlords from evicting their tenants citing the pandemic. Fox and Friends co-host Todd Pyro asked Friday how she's making up for the lost income. Work hard, she said. Try to make up by working more on our end. We have to pay everything. So the landlords have to work, right, to keep their buildings. But the people who rent in those buildings don't have to do anything. According to the mayor's website, Breedstein legislation in July of 22 that prohibits landlords from evicting residential tenants for non-payment rent that originally came due on or after July 1st, 2022, and was not paid due to COVID pandemic, the policy is ongoing. So what's happening is these businesses, these landlords, these small landlords that own one building that might have six or seven units, they're not wealthy people. They need the money to keep the buildings going, okay, have not been paid rent for three years. And now these morons here want to extend it. Now, let's look at Florida. I wonder how many landlords lost $120,000, $150,000 in rent? How many people didn't pay their rent in Florida? Yet, you know, people are still moving to Florida. People are thriving in Florida. Why? Because they didn't lock down, okay? Because San Francisco and places like San Francisco and New York had the first lockdowns and the longest lockdowns. And this is what happens. The government did this. The government did this. They didn't have to do this. They took away people's jobs through, sh through shuttering businesses. They took away people's jobs by introducing vaccine mandates if you want to work and support yourself. They did this. And now they're further, further punishing these landlords by continuing this ridiculous, ridiculous idea of where people don't have to pay rent anymore. And, of course, they'll blame, these politicians will blame COVID. They'll blame a virus. A virus prevented people from going to work. A virus made people not be able to afford rent. No, it was their policies that closed businesses. If they had kept businesses open, if they had done this the way the people, the doctors and scientists, the Great Barrington Declaration had said, none of this would ever have happened. None of this would ever happen. There might have been a natural slight decline because people would be afraid, hypochondria and fear. They wouldn't go out or maybe they'd, 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 they would uh, voluntarily close their business for a while. But it wouldn't have been for the years and years that this happened here in San Francisco where we closed the first and we opened the last. And that gap really hurt people. It really hurt people. So they did it. They did it for the common cold, right, Daniel? And now they're continuing to hurt these poor landlords. And what are they doing? They're basically telling people, as I was telling Gator earlier, don't have to work. You don't got to pay rent. You're not going to be evicted. Oh, great. I don't got to pay rent. That means I don't got to work because I only work to pay rent. The whole – it, it corrodes everything from top bottom. It corrodes everything from top to bottom.
but of course they'll never take responsibility. They'll, they'll, they're going to they're going to blame the cold. They're going to blame a common cold. That's what they'll do. Blame a common cold. Talk about blame. Going to January sixth, that we talked about on Monday and Tuesday, and Tucker Carlson. This kind of shocked me today, but not really. Not really. A top Democrat on the January 6th committee said, oh, we didn't actually review any of this, because there's this, you know, because this new surveillance video that's come out. By the way, there was a surveillance video um, of the shaman guy who was given four years in jail. I'm glad Elon Musk finally spoke out about this. Elon Musk spoke out and said, this guy should not be going to jail, should be out of jail. You know, there are people who who do robbery, burglary, who assault, and they don't get four, four years in jail. And this guy got four years in jail for being escorted around the Capitol by Capitol Police. Peaceful, no one was hurt. He didn't hurt anybody. He did not hurt anybody, okay? It was nonviolent. His offense, in quotes, was nonviolent. He was given four years in jail where violent offenders are given less time. We know that. We know that. Because we see them, they kill someone and they have a rap sheet where they had three felonies, four felonies, and they never, ever, and they didn't serve four years combined for all of them, let alone four years for any one of them. So this is absolutely politically motivated. We know that. We know these sentences are politically motivated sentences. It's all about politics. But what makes it worse is that the surveillance video was not even – there, 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 are, there, are, there are Democrats on the committee, on the Genesis Committee, who admit they never watched any of the surveillance video at all. After Fox host Tucker Carlson aired Capitol surveillance footage this week, exposing it more falsehood from the White, from the House Select Committee and leaving Democrats and their media allies irate, the committee chair on Wednesday said the panel never actually analyzed the footage. On Monday, the decision of Tucker Carlson tonight, Fox News aired the footage of the riot undermine the select committee's narrative of deadly destruct- insurrection. Oh, by the way, the shaman guy, another video that, that, that they showed, the shaman guy, this is the video that CNN and MSNBC didn't show. When Trump tweeted, remember when Trump sent that tweet out telling everyone to leave, to be peaceful and leave? Well, the shaman guy took it upon himself to go outside in front of a huge crowd. He said, Donald Trump said, be peaceful and we should leave. He told everyone that. You didn't see that video, did they didn't show us on CNN or MSNBC the video of him doing that, did we? No. But given access to the video, 40,000 hours of footage, which offered proof the committee manipulated audio and video to dramatize the riot for its made-for-TV hearings in the election year. But in a Wednesday night statement to CNN, Select Committee Chairman Benny Thompson, Democrat of Mississippi, claimed the panel never analyzed the footage that Fox News weared. So they were they were going crazy. Listen to this. They were going crazy over the footage. The two was it two minutes, three minutes of footage that Tucker Carlson aired. Oh, he's anti-democratic. He he shouldn't do that. He's being a terrorist. He's lying about. He's creating his own narrative. Here are the Democrats talking about creating a narrative. Talk about hypocrisy. And Thompson said, "I'm not aware of any member of the committee who who had access or saw any of it." They had a team of employees. We had a team of employees who kind of went through the video. They have a team of So this guy is saying the committee had no access? How could the committee not have access if their employees had access? That makes no sense. Hiring investigators who kind of went through the video, it doesn't sound like a very thorough investigation. (laughs) 
Thompson's admission that here it is. Thompson's admission that his committee lacked due diligence makes no sense. Since when do lawmakers have no access to exactly what I just said to the same material as their staffers? What bullshit? Did none of the nine panel members view the footage that was played for the cameras? Does Thompson not know who had access to the tapes? Once again, here's this is it. This is all politics, folks. The sentences these people got, like that shaman guy, are all politically motivated. They were told, they were told to give the highest. They they were they were they forced these judges. It was all a political. It was all political might. It's simply political reasons that these people got these sentences. They wanted to make a point, right? They wanted to make an example of these people. That you're peasants, and how dare you rock the boat? Peasants don't rock the boat. Peasants rock the boat, you go to jail. The next, this is what I've talked about with COVID. These are people, Fauci is someone who should be punished. He should be punished. He needs to be punished so the next Fauci doesn't do what he did. But this is what they did. This is what this government did. This is what the Biden administration has done under Merrick Garland. They've said, we want these people to make, we want to make examples of these people so the next Americans don't get uppity. We don't want other Americans in the future to get uppity and think they have any kind of power or clout. No, no, no. We have to stop it. So it's all political motivation. If you believe that the shaman deserves four years, but a rapist doesn't deserve four years, or the shaman guy deserves four years, or someone who who steals thousands of dollars of jewelry doesn't deserve four years, or the shaman guy deserves four years, or someone that commits a violent felony doesn't deserve four years, you're not a human being. You don't have a fucking brain. You're a cultist. You're a political amoeba. I don't know what you are. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. This was politically motivated. This stuff. These sentences are politically motivated. Period. By an administration that claimed the previous administration was going to punish their enemies, which Trump never did, which Trump's uh, Justice Department never did. But this administration does over and over again. Over and over again. But once again, this all comes down to Trump derangement syndrome. Trump derangement syndrome doesn't require ever going through any evidence, ever seeing any evidence, analyzing any evidence or facts. We saw that through COVID. It doesn't. Trump derangement syndrome needs no evidence. It is such a sickness. It is such an overwhelming sickness that has melted the Democratic brain. That doesn't matter. Nothing else matters to these people. Understand this. The shaman guy is serving the time that they'll never get Trump to serve. These people are serving time for Trump because the Democrats have wanted him to serve time and have tried so often to get him on bullshit stuff that they've never been able to get him on. So these people are sacrificing for him. These people are on the cross for him. The Democrats have put these people like the shaman guy on the cross for Trump. That's what, they, that's what they've done. Carlson's program showed the man who became the face of the insurrection, known as the QAnon shaman, was given VIP treatment by police. The tape showed since deceased Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick walk around vigorously after altercations with protesters who had allegedly murdered him. Murdered him. The footage also showed the mysterious rioter Ray Epps lied to congressional investigators about his whereabouts day of the riot, yet the committee protected the insurrectionist, in quotes. Carlson announced his team discovered proof that Democrats on Pelosi's probe came across the same footage Fox made public. 
We can be sure the footage contains an electronic bookmark that is still archived in the Capitol's computer system, said Carlson. That means the investigators working for the Democratic Party saw the tape. They saw it, but they refused to release the tape to the public. These people are, are really disgusting. They're really, really disgusting. God, there's so much going on. There's so much going on. Um, staying on disgusting Democrats. Did anyone hear about this? About wacky? Once again, the shaman here, this is perfect. This is a perfect transition. The shaman guy gets four years in jail. Four years. A Maryland Democrat proposes a law barring, (laughs) I can't believe I'm reading this. This is not satire. This is not the Babylon Bee. Maryland Democrat proposes a law barring everyone under 25 from felony murder charges. A Democratic delegate proposed a law in Maryland that would bar anyone under 25 years of age from being charged with felony murder. Delegate Charlotte Crutchfield, a Democrat, what else would she be, made the proposition through the Youth Accountability and Safety Act, House Bill 1180. Local news outlet WBFF reported, a defendant in Maryland can be charged with felony murder if the person commits a murder during a felony crime, such as robbery. Crutchfield and supporters of the bill say that the brain is not fully developed until age 25. So issuing a harsh sentence is unfair. We don't allow children under 18 to do a myriad of other things under the law. State Senator Jill Carter, who sponsored a, campaign, a companion bill, told the outlet. The bill was immediately decried by Republicans and law enforcement officials who argued that it resulted in a surge in crime. No shit. Hey, I'm 24. I can go out and commit a felony and not get. Of course I'm going to commit the crime. Proponents of the bill say that the human brain is not fully formed in the frontal lobes, but yet we're doing other things in the General Assembly. Yes, exactly. This is what I was just going to say. This is how hypocrites – these people are such hypocrites, but they're so blatantly hypocritical. I know what everyone out there is thinking. The same thing I was thinking and the same thing I'm about to read from Republican Delegate Susan McComas. She said, we're doing other things in the General Assembly, letting children vote earlier and earlier, letting them get sex hormone-induced drugs to change their sex. So here it is. So they're saying, well, your, your brain's not fully functioned until you're 25, but if you're seven, you should be able to change your sex. <laughs> but if you're, wait, if you're seven, these Democrats believe if you're seven, you should be able to get a sex-altering operation, a mutilation that you can never go back undo once you're maybe 18 and realize, what the fuck have I done? What the fuck did you let me do at seven? Yet, if you're 24, if you're 24, you're not old enough to know right from wrong. Oh, oh, it's sick out there and getting sicker. It is sick out there and getting sicker. These people with corroded brains have been elected to politics because people with corroded brains are allowed to vote. How about that? People of corroded brains of any age are not allowed to vote. How would they like it if I said liberals can't vote? The liberal brain is not fully developed. I, I believe it. That's my belief. The f- liberal brain is not fully developed and therefore cannot vote. And I think I'm being proven right on a daily basis. Holy shit. Look at how the government had to step in in D.C. Well, they were going to get rid of all, basically all penalties. In a state, in, 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 a, in a district which is overrun by crime. So in a time where we're overrun by crime, 
They want to say if you're under 25, you commit a felony. Nah, don't worry about it. Your brain's not fully developed. Even if they picked an age like 18, it would be ridiculous. But 25? <sighs> there were two other things I wanted to get to. These are, these are long articles. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I want to get to a couple more stories. Then they'll do a film review. If anyone wants to call in, hey, Cheech. And Bill, if you want to get back on the queue, I'm just gonna, I just want to read a little bit of, uh, of Matt Taibbi's. Uh, article today in Racket News about how the Democrats have lost a plot and, and talk a little bit about him him talking about his testifying yesterday um, and also a little bit about the Fauci thing that I was going to read that I've plugged a hundred times already. I hate, I hate when they do that in, in, you know, on TV. I don't know why I just, you know, I hate that. I did it myself. You know, they say, coming up next, the big story, and then you have to wait like three hours to get to it. Well, this is once again the treason of the science journals. And this is more about how Fauci is fucked up. I want to <laughs> anytime there's a story about fucked up Fauci, I gotta read it. I have to read it. It's my it's my uh, duty. But first, let's go to Cheech. Cheech, where have you been? I thought you got long COVID or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's only, that's I was only, worried you had long COVID. I worry about those pro- things. I worry about long- only catch. Yeah, progressives only catch long COVID. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So you're okay. Good. Yeah, yeah, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I just I got to get to bed early these days. You know? Oh, you know? I see. I see. You know, that's all. That's I all. See. I missed you. You miss me? Of course. All right. Yeah, of course. Hey, the okay. world's on fire, man. What the fuck is going on? I know you're just about to talk about Matt Taibbi. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that 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 that's what's been on my mind. Um, I, I watched that debacle yesterday. I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes and my ears. It's like, first of all. Who were those Democrats that they had questioned? I mean, I've never heard of Plaskett before. Apparently, she's from the Virgin Islands, and she doesn't really have any vote voting power in Congress or something like that. Yes, and, she has no voting power. She can't. So the Virgin, I guess, D.C. The representatives in D.C. and the Virgin Islands, unless you're unless you're in a state, you have no voting power. You can. And then they put the other flunky that that got busted for the fraud during the, uh, you know, for the DNC, was it the DNC back? You know, when she basically rigged the primary. Oh, Debbie Wasserman. Where had yeah, she so, gone, Debbie? I was I missed Debbie. I didn't so miss they, her. She, I missed you, but I missed her. Where where where'd she go? <laughs> so but so two flunkies, right? And yes, then yes. and then and then the other lady who didn't know how the internet worked, she didn't understand how the internet worked and how Twitter worked. Yep. Yet she was gonna grill the man about it. Um and then there was a couple other clowns that, that voiced their opinions. Um I, I I never thought in my lifetime I would see America um flip like this like i i feel like matt Taibbi does right and i think you probably feel feel this feel the same um you know when i think about the 80s and the 90s the democrats and the people on the liberal side of the fence were really about free expression and defending free expression no matter what uh to the point of defending um the clan's right to to march in a predominantly jewish area Right? Yeah, I think like, the ACLU backed that, used to back that they, up, right? Yeah. They, they understood the concept of what can happen when the tables are flipped in terms of who has power right. if you don't allow those things. And they've completely forgotten, forgotten that. Like they, It's true. Trump broke this country psychologically. Um, like it, These people cannot see past 2016. They can't get over it. They, they, it's it's 
how they process every decision they're going to make concerning politics. It's will this help Trump or will this hurt Trump? That's how they process everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so those idiots couldn't look at those two men and see what they were really about, which was defending a primary principle of our country, of our, of our functioning democracy. You know, the right to express yourself freely um, without government interference, as long as you're not, you know, telling people to harm themselves or, you know, you know calling for violence against somebody. Um, yeah, I just, it just blew my mind. Man. I you know, I thought Matt held himself well, um, held up well. And, uh, they look, you know, the Dems look like assholes for the most part. And, well, um, did you see when did you see when that idiot, the one you talk about in the Virgin Islands, said something about these so-called journalists and Matt and Mike both looked at each other like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, this woman is literally a so-called politician. She can't even vote. Can't <laughs> 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 even vote. The Virgin Islands. That's gonna be a tough one. A tough life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like oh, we've got freedom here, man. But, you know, it's like she's like, it's like they looked at each other. That look they gave each other was priceless. Priceless. <laughs> yeah. It's just like it's like you have the heavyweights, two heavy. It's like a, a you know, two yeah. on five or something fight. Right. Where you got two heavyweights and and a bunch of a bunch of flyweights trying to come at them all at the same time, you know, and they're just batting them off. It's just. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, and also these these what the ironic thing, of course, is these people. By the way, I did want to mention while you're on, I'll mention it because you reminded me of this. Where's the where's the great and, and I put that in quotes sarcastically? The great Bernie Sanders. You remember during the the 2016 campaign and 2020 campaign, Bernie Sanders said uh, Matt Taibbi is one of the best journalists around. And you know why Bernie Sanders said that? Because Matt Taibbi actually gave Bernie a fair shake. Matt Taibbi is one of the few journalists who gave Bernie a fair shake in both campaigns. And I remember Bernie saying, this guy is like one of the better, one of the more fair. Pol- where's Bernie now? Why isn't Bernie out there defending him now? Where, where's this fake? Where's this he's, com- he's completely sold out. In- yeah, he's pushing his book. He's pushing his anti-capitalist book that he's making millions off of. This is Yeah, I so- saw him on Bill. I saw him on Bill Maher the other night pushing that. Even Bill Maher was questioning him. Like, come on, dude. Like in California, we pay ridiculous taxes. And what do we get for it? Right. You know? Exactly. Of course. Of it's course. like if you if you had a real accounting of the taxes and where that money was going and where it was getting spent, not these fucking shadow accounts that go to the CIA and the fucking Department of Defense and all these other assholes that are spying on us. It's like, fuck you. I'm going to give you as little money as I can get away with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, it's but, like, but the, the same people who called Matt Taibbi and Mike, that's the, this is the hilarious thing. The same people like that nut job from the Virgin Islands. And I'll, I'll mention her in a second because Taibbi goes into her in, in his article he wrote today. But uh, real, you know, who real journalists are to them, right? Rachel Maddow and, and Chris Hayes. <laughs> right. These yeah. are real journalists. Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes are real yeah, journalists. People, I, people who look into a, 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 a teleprompter with words on it for an hour. Well, how about that? He's a real journalist. How about yeah. that other fucking asshole, Aaron Rupar? Who the fuck is he? Oh, he's, that guy's a, a big. That guy's the biggest douche, Aaron Rupar. Please. He's on Twitter hollering all this noise. It's like that guy's a clown. Let's like, face. Let's face it. There are so many people who would be nothing without Twitter. They were nothing before Twitter. They'd be nothing without Twitter. They should be these these people who who curse Elon Musk should be on their knees looking up to him because he keeps them he keeps them having some kind of meaning in their lives because they'd be meaningless 
without Twitter. <laughs> Who, yeah, these people are nothing. They made themselves something on Twitter. They made hey, the themselves man, something on Twitter. The man, the man has his flaws. Um, so does everyone. But I tell you what, man, thank God he took over that company so that we found all of this out. I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is serious shit. And, and I don't think, I don't know, I guess the average American doesn't grasp them. Well, the last owners of Twitter, the last owners of Twitter would not be on Twitter um, defending, you know, saying that the, 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 the shaman should not be serving four years in jail when murderers don't serve. So, you know, at least oh, he's yeah. on Twitter. He's not just the owner of Twitter. He's actually a participant, right? He's active on it, you know, talking. Yeah, we, the rest yeah, of yeah. yeah, that's why they're all. But when he says it, people listen, and I'm glad he did. Yeah, yeah. Someone's, someone's got to say something, man. It's like these people are out of their minds. I don't know. The world's falling apart, Mike. I, I mean, you got this. I don't know. You got this shit in the Ukraine doesn't look to be getting any better. No. And uh, Russia's no. firing off hypersonic missiles. And uh, 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 yeah, here, newsflash Ukraine's going to lose. Newsflash <laughs> Ukraine's going to lose. <laughs> oh, but despite all the bullshit they've been telling us over the last year, how, how underdog Ukraine is going to take down Russia and Putin bullshit of course and not, and not only that you got all this other stuff that's coming out now like all the disclosures about fauci and, and uh redfield being shut out of the conversation when they were talking about natural origins and all that other jazz all that and then and then the vaccine uh debacle and a lot of the news that's coming out of australia in terms of in terms of the the the, the death ca- the death counts down there um it seems to all be pouring in at once and i i, I got a strong suspicion that something's going to you know, these people, they'll, they'll go and kick off another war. They'll, they'll be a skirmish in the South China Sea or something with Iran. I mean, it's, you know, then you got the Silicon Valley Bank fucking. <laughs> yeah, a lot of like, stuff. Yeah, it's, it yeah is, a lot of stuff's going down, man. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like it's, Billy Joel can write a sequel to that song. We did so, hey, the fire. Yeah, he can be stock up, stock up your pantry. Yeah. Uh, I would tell you to stock up on ammo. Um, Ooh. Ammo. Ooh, ooh, watch out. Uh, well don't don't hey, you man. don't you dare exercise your Second Amendment rights. Don't do don't that. forget don't forget how, how quick things went south in twenty twenty. Things went south real fast. And in a big city, especially a city like this one, where apparently they only have a couple cops in some of these stations on a weekend. Yeah, you're on your own, man. No, it's it's, <laughs> so, it's, it's dangerous times, my friend. It's dangerous times. Anyways, hey thanks, man, but thanks for calling. You you make you know you, don't be such a stranger. I know I know it's what, <laughs> yeah I know you figured okay Friday night I can stay up late right? <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. exactly. <laughs> I'm old now man. This is how I do it. Thanks right, Cheech. Man. I appreciate it. And by the way, anyone I'm sure every, I'm sure Cheech knows this. Anyone who wants to listen to these shows, mine or anyone else's, can always go to the archives. I, I archive this within 10 minutes after I do this show. So if you can't, I understand. I'm on 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. London time, five days a week. If you can't listen live, you can always listen to the replay. You can always listen to the replay, but you can't call in. You understand? You get that, right? Okay. Um, let me just get a little bit. What, um, let me get a little bit to this. Uh, by the way, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do what I hate doing because we've, been through so much and I want to read this story and do a film review and all that um, is that the, the, the Fauci story, I'm going to do a cliffhanger. You'll have to come in. You'll have to come back Monday night on Monday night. I will read the Fauci story written in tabletmag.com. I promise I double swear and triple swear treason of the science journals. Um, and once again, I was reading today on, uh, on Twitter 
that there's a Ben Becker, I think, put out something that said that the Republicans are putting the ducks in order to hopefully indict Fauci or try to get a criminal charge. I'm not going to hold my breath. I'm not going to hold my breath. But on Monday, I know this is like that, those old cliffhangers, right? We have to wait. You have to come back. Those serial shows, right? Those serial shows. Um, reminds me of that scene in uh, uh, Misery when he's trying to, when he's talking about those serial shows to, to Kathy Bates, James Conn, and she gets offended. I know, Mr. Man. I know. She didn't get out of the cockpit. I love that movie. I love that movie. I love Misery. I can't stand Rob Reiner as a person. He's a total fucking moron. He's a political jackass. But he's a good director. He's made some good movies. I have to be able to separate the, the two things. Um, I love Misery. Anyway, speaking of Misery, poor Matt Taibbi and, uh, and Michael Schillenberg had to sit there in front of those morons that Cheech was just talking about yesterday. And, and uh, Matt wrote a little bit about it today. It's a long, a long one. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I'll read a little bit of it. And he writes, testifying with uh, Mike Schellenberger before a House subcommittee was one of the most surreal experiences of my life. I expected serious attacks and spent a nervous night before preparing for them. Then the hearing began. An episode of Black Adder Congress broke out. The attack happened, but it was more farcical horror and a parade of self-owns that made me more sad than upset. The Democrats made it clear they weren't interested in talking about free speech excerpt. Uh, as it pertains to Christy Teigen, um, seems to suggest that journalists should not make a living, and finally made the incredible claim that Michael and I represented a direct threat to people who opposed them. Of all that transpired yesterday, this was the most ominous development, perhaps not for me, but for reporters generally, given our government's recent history of dealing with people deemed threats. Beyond that, much of the hubbub yesterday involved the many, when did Elon Musk start beating your wife questions, and the lie about me being a so-called journalist. Regarding the, for, regarding the former, both ranking member Stacey Plaskett, that's her, and Texas Democrat Sylvia Garcia repeatedly asked questions about when I first got Twitter files information. And from whom? It was a bizarre, collected display of a whole group of politicians not understanding some pretty basic things about how not to act around journalists. Obviously, mine is not a situation where there's a mole at Langley in a war zone smuggling out documents whose life is at stake. The genesis of the Twitter file story is not exactly a case for Sherlock Holmes. But I made an agreement on an attribution, and the reason I can't break it as much for the next source as if for any current one or ones in this case. People who are thinking of calling a journalist always look up to them, look up to see if they've ever burned or blown a source before. So if you happen to have done it on television, that's going to be a serious problem going forward. Moreover, submitting to an elected official's request to break any deal is not exactly doing future journalists a favor because it sets a precedent. This is why anyone who understands and respects these dynamics doesn't go near that question, yet the Democrats did it repeatedly. One of the crazier parts came at the end of the examination by Garcia when it ended up becoming just a bystander to a heated and apparently sincerely unfriendly blow-up between Chairman Jordan and Plaskett. Garcia, so you're not going to tell us when Musk first approached you? Taibbi, again, Congresswoman. You're asking me to. You're asking your journalist to reveal a source. Garcia, so you consider Mr. Musk to be the direct source of all this? Taibbi, now you're trying to get me to say that he's a source. Garcia, well, he isn't. If you're telling me you can't answer because it's your source, the larger conclusion is that he is, in fact, your source. Taibbi, well, you're free to conclude that. Garcia, well, sir, I just don't understand. You can't have it both ways, but let's move on because Jordan, well, no, he can. He's like a journalist. Plaskett, he can because either Musk is the source and he can't talk about it, or Musk is not the source. And if Musk is not the source, then he can discuss. 
Did these people really not understand that identifying who is not a source crosses the same line as identifying who is one? You can't go, you can't just go into the questions. I started to inject this point out, then realize that Garcia and Plaskett legitimately didn't even know the basics of the civil liberties landscape. <clears throat> this was much the same as when Vijaya Gade, Gade acted completely at a loss when Ro Khanna wrote to her in the middle of the Hunter Biden laptop affair to express concerns about uh, free speech rights. Khanna mentioned the New York Times versus Sullivan case and other participants, Principal Sagade, and she seemed to have no idea what he was talking about. This was like that same thing. Garcia also made it clear she didn't know what Twitter was, <laughs> as, as, as she's just pointed out. And, at one point, she said, regarding yesterday's Twitter files thread, that I had said I had to attribute all the sources to Twitter first. I was so confused by this. I paused, worried that I was misunderstanding. My hearing is not the greatest. So then I asked if I sent it to Twitter first. She then asked if I sent it to Twitter first. And I was replying, no, that I posted the thread on Twitter. I heard Nate whispering something about putting it on Twitter. So she had no fucking clue what Twitter was. And she had no ideas that these files were on Twitter first. That's where they originate, Twitter. That's where they are. That's where you go find them. What kind of morons are these Democrats? Oh, my God. <clears throat> Continuing, Garcia seemed to think that Twitter was an editorial body to which I was sending text, maybe for review. It's understandable not knowing that the platform doesn't work that way. Not everyone has to be on Twitter, obviously. But then why the hostility? Instead of simply asking me in a friendly way about this process, what process, which I would have been glad to explain, she kept blasting away. First, sir, yes or no? The Democrats were angry that Michael and I were there at all. They didn't want to have a discussion about anything. It was completely opposite to what the party was even 10 years ago when expressing rights were an issue they wanted to own. Most of the ideas I have about most of the ideas I have about issues like speech, civil liberties, and due process are for Democrats from Democrats. I come from a family of Democrats, and my mother is both a Democrat and a lawyer. Uh, and by the way, Michael Schellenberger, I believe, said he had voted for Biden in 2020. So I was shocked when Dan Goldman of New York stated quizzing Mike and me about the two indictments by Special Counsel Robert Mueller that definitively established that Russia interfered in the 2016 election through social media disinformation and a hack of leak operation. A longtime editor once cracked that the Democrats have been stuck since the mid-60s trying to run Kennedy clones in elections, cracking out one to the tallish facsimile after another, from Gary Hart to John Kerry to Beto O'Rourke. I'll, I'll keep going, but what's funny is that that's a hundred and fucking twenty percent true. Yet they'll give RF an actual Kennedy, RFK Jr. They'll give him such short shrift. They'll act as though he's a tinfoil hat nutball, and he is actually a Kennedy. <laughs> God, how how hilarious are these people? Goldman and by hilarious I mean despicable. Goldman is one of the latest, a literal handsome Dan, who's an heir to the Levi Strauss fortune, worth over two hundred and fifty million and who opposed Medicare for All and the Green New Deal while marketing himself as tough on crime. All of these qualities make him the kind of quintessential born-on-third-base triangulator the party loves. However, the most salient fact about Goldman is that he has a JD from Stanford Law and is a former assistant U.S. attorney from the Southern District. Even the former lead counsel of a Trump impeachment, which Goldman is, should know better than to assert that an indictment can definitely establish anything. This is why we have trials. A prosecutor's assertions are, in fact, 
They can only be said to be proved if they hold up against evidence presented by a competent defense in a fair trial setting. This is Civil Liberties 101, which is why I was confused when Goldman turned to me and asked if I agreed with Mueller's indictments. Ms. Taibbi, do you agree with those two indictments? If you watch the video, and in, 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 in this uh, racket news that Taibbi has, he puts videos, and he says, if you watch the video that he embedded, you'll see me freeze again. I was trying to figure out, was Goldman asking if I agreed that the accused in those two Mueller cases were guilty, or was he asking if I agree with Mueller's decision to indict? I didn't have enough information to answer either question, but I was about to ask Goldman to specify anyway. However, by that point, I'd been chastised so many times by Democratic members for saying something other than yes or no that I knew even a respectful request for clarification would be cut off. So I stammered out a demural. Well, uh, and um, indictments aren't a thing to disagree with. Goldman, do you disagree? There are about 40 or 50 pages. Do you disagree with the evidence outlined in those indictments? Taibbi, uh, indictments are just charges. As it happens, I'd read those indictments carefully, referencing them many times in Russiagate stories. But both are very unusual cases. Uh, USA versus Nateshko is Mueller's much ballyhooed case against 12 suspected officers of the GRU. The evidence in the indictment was frequently described as highly detailed and compelling, with NPR going as far as to say it demonstrated the godlike vision of the U.S. intelligence community. The indictment is indeed detailed, telling us hackers search DCCC and DNC computers for terms like Hillary, Cruz, and Trump, and that Unit 74455 of the GRU controlled and manipulated the personas Grucifer 2.0, remember that one, Grucifer, and DC Leaks, which is all fine and interesting. The indictment offered no clue on how the state planned to prove the connection of the various activities, and moreover, how they planned to prove how they, that they used Grucifer to dump hacked materials to Organization 1, their word for WikiLeaks, which they described as having previously posted documents stolen from U.S. persons, entities, and the U.S. government. Also, it was abundantly clear from the start that if these 12 people were GRU officers, none were going to show up in court. It's even harder to evaluate evidence in an indictment if you know the prosecutor knows he or she is never going to have to prove the case. So he goes on and on and on. What this really shows is that, and I'll read the last paragraph. Yesterday was memorable for other reasons, but a depressing eye-opener as well forced me to set up to see up close the intellectual desert that spread all the way to the edges within the party I once supported. There are no more pockets of wellstones and kucinishes who once tolerated and whose job it is to uphold a constitutionalist position within a larger whole. That crucial little pocket of principle is gone, and I don't think it's coming back. This, I mean, it's... it's it, Matt comes up with a very smart intellectual way of saying these people are morons. Can you believe the people who are in politics? Do you believe the people who they put on these committees who are supposed to know the law, understand the Constitution, and they don't understand the basic principles of the laws? People with Goldman, like with, with law degrees, the ba- the guy, they don't know. They're, they're on a committee about Twitter files, and they don't know what Twitter is? Wouldn't that be one of the qualifications for being on the Twitter committee? Who runs this? Now? Who runs the Democratic Party on the House side? Hakeem. Hakeem Jeffries, a total ignoramus, a total liar, a low IQ more, who's there because of his race. He's there because he's black. I'll make it very clear. He's there because he's a black guy. He's black. He's black. That's why they chose him to come after Pelosi, a woman, a white woman. That's the Democrats' work. Then so, so Pelosi's a white woman. And now with but 
but she was there before the wokeness. I'm not saying she was there because she was a woman. She was there well before this wokeness thing happened. But okay, but now the Democrats feel a black must follow a, a woman. So who's going to follow Hakeem? A, a tra- mark my words, a trans, a trans will follow Hakeem because that's the way the Democratic Party works. Competence doesn't matter whether it's in politics, whether it's your pilot and your on your air, uh, on your uh, on your airline uh, on your plane, whether it's the guy. The guy who is uh, running the the trains, whether it's the person on the phone line, whether it's someone in customer service, whether it's whatever it may be, whether it's the vice president, wokeness and identity politics is everything to them. Competence is not even on the top 10 of their list of important things a person should be. Competent is not one of them. And this is what you get. This is what we get. But I thought Matt, as, 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 as Cheech said, I thought Matt and Mike did great. They, they were just so above these people. They were much smarter than them. They, were, they weren't a step ahead. They were 30 steps ahead. They embarrassed these people. They were embarrassed. It won't matter because their voters, their constituents are idiots. So it won't matter. Their constituents will think they did a great job. They did a grilling and they were tough. They're morons. They're all more. The left has become they're all assholes. I'm glad Matt says it in a more intellectual way than I do, but I, I, I'm just trying to get at the real issue here. They're idiots. They're woke, virtue signaling idiots. They're not human beings. They're these, like he said about the, this robotic thing. Of this, like they want another Kennedy out of the out of the out of the workshop. They want to develop another Kennedy out of the laboratory. They're not real human beings. They're political entities. With no common sense, no no intellect, no intelligence, no desire to know, to have knowledge, to acquire knowledge, to learn. <sighs> We're in a world of shit right now. A world of shit. How do I do this transition? A world of shit. We're in a world. If you were caught, if you were, oh, Bill, do you want to talk before my, Bill, I was going to do my film review and end the show. Bill, can you be short? Because I wanted to do a transition from this world of shit to the... But you know what, Bill? You're going to be my buffer. You'll be my buffer between this story and my film review. How you doing, Bill? Well, yeah. <laughs> well how much time do I have to tell? Go ahead. No, but go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think the real issue regarding we got to tackle is pursuing our federal free speech laws that prohibit states or, or anyone to limit free speech. Uh, I, I really think this needs to be the argument, you know, in Congress right now on all these issues and to keep the State Department, uh, Homeland Security from meddling with that when it comes to whether it's COVID or pick an issue, you know what I mean, that they're having a House Senate committee or uh, I'm sorry, House committee meeting on or whatever. I, I If we don't have a free exchange of speech of ideas uh, uh, regarding science as it evolves, uh, or uh, even laws and uh, uh, ability to state opinions, uh, we don't have a democracy. What do we have? You know what yeah, I mean. Bill, Mike? if I was doing a if I was doing a house uh, uh, if I was doing a committee on let's say the airline industry, and I picked mm-hmm. you, wouldn't I want you to have flown? Once on a flight, maybe. <laughs> what, what, what I want you to have maybe to travel on an airplane a couple of times. Yet these people, this woman, 
is on a committee about the Twitter files, and she doesn't know what Twitter is. All right. <laughs> Come on. It's the absurdity. It's beyond absurd. We're into some surreal place, aren't we? Yeah, that, it, it's, it's, it reminds me even when Sotomayor, remember when she made comments on COVID, on the, the deaths of kids in the hospital, it was so inaccurate. It's like their staff, you're, you're right, getting back to this particular woman and her staff, how incompetent can they be? You know what I mean? That she goes into hearing like that, uneducated. It, what is she doing? I, I don't know. The, because, it's, because Bill, this is the whole point of these – look, this is the whole point if you're a Democrat and these people are coming on. Even though they're talking about like free speech, which is – these morons in the Democratic Party think that's a, that's a Republican issue, free speech. That's how insane things have gotten. But this yeah. is the whole idea of being on the – whether it's January – remember the – I just told you about the January 6th people, and they didn't, they didn't see any of the footage. That, they, didn't, that, they had their staff look at the footage, and they never looked at it. This is the whole thing because it's not about getting – it's not about getting to truth, Bill. Come on. How naive is that? It's not about getting the truth. It's about having right. the opposing view of the, having the opposing view of something you believe is benefiting the other party for some strange reason. For some strange reason, it's having the opposing view of the view you believe Donald Trump has. That's really what it's come down to. You must simply fight that view that you believe. Even he might not even have that fucking belief, but you have to. You have to. You'll get it. In the Trump derangement syndrome is. You, you decide what you believe Trump believes, and you must believe the opposite. That's why, as I've talked about on this show for the last year and a half, and I've talked to Daniel about and he's talked about it, if Trump had come out from day one and said everyone should wear a mask and stay in their apartment, people would have said, you fascist, we're going out, and we're never going to wear a mask. It always would have been the opposite of what he believed, the opposite of what he believed. That's what it comes down to from the, for the left. Right. Consider this. Let's look at a 30,000 foot view, right? First of all, we have our federal free speech case laws, which I, I listed Brandenburg versus Ohio, New York Times versus Sullivan, Snyder versus Phelps. They're already there. They set legal precedent, right? But we know that the State Department meddles with mainstream media. We had the Smith Modernization Act of 2012 that listed, lifted the ban on domestic propaganda baked into the National Defense Authorization Act. I'm just trying to set some parameters. So, in other words, the, 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 a government can pay mainstream media, and they're all pretty much are in pockets of the State Department, uh, whatever. Just just look at COVID, you know what I mean? Or, well, that was actually Pfizer, which was part of, the, I would argue, the Department of Defense and DARPA program. But that's all another deep dive we could do in the future. But... And I think it'll come out. And that reminds me, by the way, I did put in a Redcliffe testified in the House uh, hearing on uh, COVID. Uh, what we've heard him say over two and a half years ago, but he, a little more detail about the fair and cleavage site and uh, the uh, his belief that COVID was uh, manufactured. And, and he's talking about uh, research all the way back to 2014. So we know, we know the former CDC director, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, right. So that, that there's a link for that in the uh, chat too. But by getting back to uh, what, what we have here is uh, taking a larger viewpoint is you have both parties who are in the pockets of the special interests. Let's be honest. I mean, that's the bottom line. And they, to me, my my assessment, let me just say, my they put on a show. 
like give them their old razzle dazzle. And we have these committee hearings, and they go back and forth, and who testifies, and this and that. But but really, at the, it's always a ratcheting over time towards more and more fascism, totalitarianism, and it. it Presidents come and go. We, we, we've seen the ongoing loss of civil liberties. Um, uh, we've seen uh, an economy that's been uh, controlled, the controlled demolition of our economy with outsourcing manufacturing uh, facilities and jobs overseas, you know, uh, uh, Mexico, China, India, et cetera, and then importing undocumented workers. Uh, it, it, this is a bigger plan, Mike. You know what I mean? And, and it needs to be, I think, considered that uh, both parties are, are guilty in this. Uh, over, over, over administrations, deregulation, cutback on, on uh, 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 privatization, cutback on employees, cutback on hours for... Uh, 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 let's say maintenance and uh, inspections that lead to more and more problems. It, you know what I mean? It's just, it's like a completion of our economy because we're not the manufacturing hub of the world anymore. That's been outsourced a long time ago, you know, to Asia and it's not coming back, you know, maybe in dribs or drabs here or there, but, uh, those are the growing economies, and this is the way I, I see it. That, that, that you know, um, and there's a strong argument, and I, I put a list of of uh, where you have Andrew Jackson fighting uh, with the First Bank of America, the central bankers, which mm-hmm. a lot of people argue uh, not only really run the economies, but also fund both sides of wars often, and so you had. Andrew Jackson fighting the First Bank of America, they attempted to kill him. Uh, he survived that one uh, assassination attempt. And you had Lincoln with the greenback trying to, again, fight the, I think that may have been the Central Bank of America. And, of course, he got killed. Then you had JFK fighting in the the, uh, the Federal Reserve System with the silver certificate trying to, but, but these, you know, the, the Federal Reserve System is not a, a, a government uh, really controlled uh, uh, quasi-government organization, from my understanding, it's it's pretty much the central bankers that that pretty much uh, uh, operate independently and uh, charge interest uh, to create um, uh, money uh, that the government then has to pay them for. It, it, I may not have that entirely correct, but this is what I'm gathering out of me trying to understand what the heck is going on, and. Uh, and so um, uh, there's a couple links in there uh, along those lines. And, and we see them fined. You know, you, when you look at where Wells Fargo's gotten fined in the last several years, what B of A's gotten fined in the last several years, what yeah. Goldman Sachs gotten fined. And none of these people go to jail. Well, they don't go to jail and their fines are nothing for them. They'll, they'll take the fines. They don't care. Yeah. Plus, doing business, it's peanuts compared to what they're profiteering. Yeah, American right. people don't seem to get that. The American public thinks when they say fines, they go, oh, my God. Well, they, they'll find these huge amounts. People go, oh, because they think about themselves being fined, that kind of money. It's nothing. Right. It's nothing. When these when these corporations and these banks are fined big amounts, it, right. it would hurt you and me more to take $100 out of our bank account. You see? That's what I mean. People don't seem to get that. They don't right. seem to understand that. So yeah, why, well, not, why not break the law? It's not going to hurt. Yeah, and the other thing is they get fined. Where does the money go? <laughs> 
Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Where does the money go? Good point, Bill. It goes back to the great system, Bill. It's a closed system. It's a Ponzi scheme, isn't it? It's like like you could find your money around the corner, right? (laughs) Go around the corner, you could find your money. You, you might have lost your house in an automatic foreclosure. You're not yeah. going to see that money come back to you. You know, what I mean? Bill, you're going to Bill. I, I do have to get to the review and wrap, but you, yeah, you're going to sure. laugh. I go, I, I turn on the Sirius XM. I swear to God, I turn on Sirius XM earlier, uh-huh. and the, the, I, as soon as I turn it on, it's give us the old rap. I swear oh, to God, hey. that was the song that was playing. That's I, nice to be. <laughs> Give us the old razzle. You know, I'm gonna, Mike. I'm gonna practice that song so I remember more than one or two lines of it, and we'll have to do yeah, it together. Yeah. You know what? Maybe that should be. Well, now nah, I was gonna say that could be an intro to my show, but that's almost like yeah. I'm saying I'm a phony, right? Not you. No, no, it's not about you. It's the system. You know, it's the I, system. That's true. I'll see. I don't. I don't know if that's public domain yet. You know, I don't know if that's public domain. That's a like oh, Kendrick, right, Kendrick right, Kendrick right, Nap. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Bill, have a good weekend. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, for the time. Right. Okay. All right. Speaking of the old razzle dazzle, you know, this is bad. I've kept John. I've kept John in the Boston pop sitting here. I was going to do this a half hour ago. I don't know if I have the money to, I don't know if I have the money to give overtime, but I think they're going to help me anyway. All right, John, are you ready to go? You, I know you've been ready to go for a half hour. I get it. Okay. All right, if I'm good, he'll play me out. If I, by the way, speaking of Rafa Hollywood, um, the Oscars are Sunday night. Is, uh, is anybody going to watch the Oscars on Sunday night? Is anybody, is it, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I want to. I think I will because I have nothing to do Sunday night. If I had anything to do, I swear if I had anything to do, I would not watch the Oscars. But I have nothing to do, so I think I will. And we have to watch now. Don't we have to watch to make sure – Someone doesn't get slapped in the face. I think that's, by the way, did you see the Oscars are doing, before I get to the film, did you see the Oscars are doing this thing where they like, they have this special uh, task force now? <laughs> they have a, they have a no slap task force. They're ready to jump on anybody that hits <laughs> Like it's going to happen again. That's, a, that's like taking your shoes off at the airport after there's already, <laughs> there's already a shoe bomber who has thought about that. It's like too little, too late. You got to be, you got to be one step ahead of the shoe bomber. You got to be one step ahead of the slapper. You can't, it's not going to, they have a special, this is how crazy these liberals are. These Hollywood types, they get a, a special, they're ready. They're ready to jump on anybody who slaps someone. Oh my God. I think they just want to build it up. So people, there are people who actually are going to watch thinking it'll happen again, which is kind of bizarre. I think more people are going to watch to, um, to see if uh, they make fun of the whole thing. I'm sure someone will bring it up, right? That's my opinion. I think someone will will bring it up. But uh, anyway, okay. The film review is 65. 65. Now, 65 is a science fiction film. 65 is uh, about uh, a, a guy who flies space. It takes place in the future on a different planet uh, inhabited by people. It's like a, a civilized uh, universe, the planet in the future. And... Uh, 
Adam Driver plays a uh, – he drives a spaceship. He does missions where he's, he drives people. You know, they're in the – what do they call that? The cryogenic thing where they're asleep, and he, he flies them places. And he's on a mission where he's flying people, and it's a two-year mission, which he's doing uh, to help raise to, – to make some more money because his daughter has some kind of a medical condition. We're not sure where it is. Probably a, it's alluded to as like a lung issue. And he's doing this, this two-year mission so he can make money, so he can help his daughter with her – um, her medical issues. I guess there's no health care yet, even in the far distant future on another planet. Uh, there's no health care. So he had to, to do this mission, and the mission goes wrong. You know, the plane crashes, and it crashes back in time in, in a prehistoric Earth, 65 million years ago. So he crashes in prehistoric Earth uh, 65 uh, million years ago. Here on Earth, so back in time here on Earth. And, uh, of course, it's prehistoric time, so there are dinosaurs. So he, he's not the only – he thinks he's the only one that survives, but he's not. There's also a young girl who uh, is like uh, – speaks a different language. She's kind of like what you might consider Inuit or something. She speaks a different language. Um, she's obviously not Caucasian. She's a, like – I think it's supposed to be the futuristic version of Native Americans, and she speaks a different language. She doesn't understand it. He tries to communicate that You know, they have to really get to a certain – there's an area on the top of a mountain where the, um, uh, the, the capsule that he can fly them back to uh, their planet is. And, uh, and they have to climb this mountain and get there. So they have to get from where the crash is to on top of the mountain to where this escape capsule is. And, of course, they encounter dinosaurs along the way, and they have to fight off these dinosaurs. And so most of the suspense is basically Jurassic Park-type suspense, and that's the problem with the film. Adam Driver's great. I love Adam Driver. Really good. Actually, the best moments in the film are when he and the girl are bonding because we find out – I don't want to give it away, but you know, there's the, there's the issue with him and his daughter, and that's played up a lot in the film – and he sees this girl as kind of like his daughter, and he wants to save her. And the, emotion, the, the emotional, dramatic moments between the two of them are probably the best part of the film. But that's not what we came for this film. It's a science fiction film with dinosaurs, and it just reminds us too much of a Jurassic Park. Once you've seen one dinosaur, you've kind of seen them all. And it's not a particularly low-budget, poorly-made film. It's actually very well-made. It's very slick. There's good filmmaking, great CGI. Um, but... It, 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 we feel like we've seen all of it before. We feel like we've seen all of it before and done better. And I guess, like I say, there's also something – I have a problem with dinosaurs as the bad guy simply because I think they're cute. And that might be my own thing. I feel like bad when we're killing dinosaurs because it's almost like we're invading their land in a way, right? That's the, it always seems to me like when we're invading their land, we're doing something. They're not bothering us, and we go there and we bother them, and they, of course – are prehistoric animals, and they're going to attack, and they're going to protect their turf. I always have a problem with dinosaurs as bad guys. I never actually got it. And like I said, sometimes they look, to me, they look too cute and adorable, and I feel bad for them. So it doesn't really work <laughs> for me to have dinosaurs as the bad guys, the villains. But if it's your thing, go see Jurassic Park. Not this, um, because this is kind of a uh, – uh, what did you write? Would you write, Daniel? I can't read that. Anyway. Um, yeah, so Mothra. Oh, Mothra. There you go. Mothra. Yes. No, this. it's just, yeah, it, it doesn't work. You know, once again, it's just that feeling as we're watching it that we've seen this all before. The suspense isn't built particularly well. The, the, the scenes with the dinosaurs aren't particularly scary or suspenseful. They sort of just happen. 
Um, and there's so many of them. Like I said, after a while, you've seen one dinosaur attack. You've seen them all. And there are about five or six or seven or eight of them. I lost track. And it's all basically, like I said, it's such a thin plot. It's basically just dinosaurs blocking their way between the crash of the ship and the place they have to get to in order to get home. And um, it doesn't really work. It's kind of, it's flat. It's not very suspenseful. And like I said, for a film that's supposed to be a suspenseful science fiction film about dinosaurs, it really works more in its dramatic, intimate moments, which doesn't, you know, it's not more. That's not, that's, that's not why we came to see 65. So I would not recommend seeing 65, unfortunately. Um, and that's it. That's the film because I only saw one film this week. I think next week, I think next week, I'm not quite sure. There's that Willem Dafoe film coming out, right? called Inside, and anything with Willem Dafoe, I'm there. Anything with Willem Dafoe, I am there. So if I get to see that, uh, I'll have that review, uh, either, hopefully next week, maybe the week after, but hopefully next week. Okay, um, so I want to remind everybody. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait, before I leave. Guys, are you still here? Okay. You know, I must as well get my money worth. My money's worth. I'm gonna, they're going to play me in. They're going to play me out. Okay, guys. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Um, okay. The name of this show is Unless Be Heard, and it airs weeknights, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. if you're on the other side of the pond, Monday night through Friday night. And so have a great weekend. I'll see everyone back here on Monday night. I promise I'll be here. I hope you are, too. But until then, this is Micah Chopley reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.